0: You haven't met me. Um, my wife Haley and I and our family, we attend here and uh, worship here at Live Oak. I've been a pastor for about 17 years, and now I practice pastoral counseling full-time. I have a practice called the Hope Center. So uh, that's who I am, and I'm here because uh, Brian asked me to fill in this morning, and I'm going to speak on Psalm 63. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to that, and I'm going to use the New Living Translation. Um And that'll be up on the screen for you, so we'll start by reading that. But this is a psalm about thirst for God, and so that's going to be my topic today. I want to to look at this psalm of David's and an experience in David's life where he had an extreme thirst for God and and how he handled it. Uh, John Calvin, a great Bible teacher and scholar and and leader during the Reformation, studied the psalms, and he said the psalms is like an anatomy book for the soul. Like you can see every single part of the soul and study the soul and see what the soul is and how it operates, uh, and so we see that as we watch David in this in this psalm. The Psalms is a unique book because uh, in most of the scriptures we have God more directly addressing us, God speaking to the people, and in Psalms when we read it, uh, what you have is uh, someone speaking to God, usually in a prayer or a complaint. Uh, or in praise and and worship. And so we overhear David or whoever the psalmist might be in this hymn or a poem of praise or prayer, and and we're drawn into that experience, and we learn how the soul responds to God and who God is and who we are. So keep that in mind as, as we read this passage on thirsting for God. The heading says, A Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king, We'll rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars are silenced. We pray with me? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit that inspired this passage and led David to write these words and was working in his heart, Lord, I, I pray that that same Spirit would speak to us now, that you would help us to be aware of our thirst for you, that it comes from you, and that it can only be satisfied in you and your love Lord, I pray for those here today who might be seeking to satisfy that thirst somewhere else, that they'd see that it can be only satisfied in you and turn to you, Lord. I pray that you would meet our needs, the needs of our soul, and that you would strengthen us and help us to cling to you and follow after you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The titles of these psalms are sometimes really helpful because they give you the context you know, it tells you when David wrote this, and then that tells you a little bit about how to interpret it and, you know, what David is talking about. Uh, and as I mentioned, this psalm was written during a time, it says, uh, when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, he's not more specific, so scholars have thought, well, exactly when in the life of David was this. Um, there's two options, basically, for those of you who know the, the story of David well. Uh, the first will be when he's fleeing from Saul, Right? Saul saw the anointing and the the calling on David's life, and Saul had not been a faithful king, and so Saul's jealous and envious and suspicious, Uh, and so he begins to persecute and mistreat uh, and abuse David even. Uh, And so David has to flee for his life at times and hang out in the desert, in the wilderness, uh, hiding in caves with his friends until it's safe to go back. And another time is when his own son Absalom Rebelled against him and tried to kick him out of the throne or off the throne and to take the kingdom over, and in that time he also again had to flee to the wilderness. I'm not sure it matters which one of those it is. Um, It applies to both equally well. But the point is this: David wrote this in a time when when he was far from home, when he was in a very difficult situation, living in a difficult place. And he compares the wilderness around him, which was dry and barren and hard uh, and empty, with the state of his own soul. And he look around at the wilderness uh, of Judah, not far from Jerusalem, near the Dead Sea. And he look around and go, "This is this is what my soul's like right now, God. I'm just thirsting for you. Can you put up the picture? We have a slide with a picture, an actual scene from the wilderness of Judah." So you can see there, that's exactly what it's like. Every now and then, certain times a year after it rains, there'll be little creeks and there will be some water. But we can all agree that's a pretty barren place. And David looks around at that. He says, that's that's me, basically, in my soul. Spiritually, that's how I feel right now. Why? Because I'm thirsting for God. I can't seem to find God. And I'm worn down by my circumstances. I need to be refreshed. And the only person that can do it is God. And so he begins to write this psalm, and he he expresses that thirst. He, He manages that thirst and is able to satisfy it. He begins to drink of God, and then he ends up with more devotion to God as he clings to Him, knowing, God, you're the only one who can really satisfy me. And so if you forget everything else I say today, remember this and take this with you. Here's the main point, that our soul's thirst for God can only be quenched by God's love. There is a thirst inside every single one of us. Some of us suppress it. Some of us ignore it. For some of us, it's become so faint and weak that it's hardly noticeable anymore. Or some of us might look to other things to try to quench that thirst. I do counseling every week, uh, every day now uh, as my main ministry. And, And as you sit and listen to people, I can say that there's one thing true of everybody. Everybody's thirsting and searching for something. And they don't always have a way to satisfy it and fill it. Uh, And David knew what that experience was like. But but here we see David, everything is is properly in order. All his desires are properly in order. You know, the effects of sin on our, our life, our separation from God and the way that's twisted everything, it means that our desires and longings all are kind of out of order, in the wrong place. And that desire for God oftentimes gets put to the side. Or we try to quench it by drinking from other sources, other wells, other springs, other faucets, so to speak. When I read this psalm, I'm kind of convicted sometimes, you know, because I look at David and I go, man, I don't know if I long for God and thirst for him as much as he does or as strongly as he does. And then sometimes I do, and, and other times I think, man, I'm not sure I really manage the thirst of my soul as well as David does I'm not sure that I I really by faith go to God and just make sure that I drink from him and from being in his presence and sometimes I probably do just try to fill my life with things beside him and so David's example in, uh, inspires me and I hope it does you but this isn't just hey let's look at David's example and then try to be as thirsty for God as he is I think by the end of this, we'll realize thirst for God is something uh, that God gives to us, and then God will show up and meet. God's not playing tricks with us. He's not toying with us. He doesn't give us a thirst for something that he won't also satisfy. And so three D words here, just as an outline, that are fairly convenient to, to remember. Let's look briefly at this desire as the thirst Soul's thirst for God is a desire for God, an intense, undeniable desire for God that only God can quench. And then let's look at delight, how when our soul is quenched, when we drink of God, that it's satisfying uh, and brings great delight like nothing else can. Uh, And then finally, devotion. When David drinks of God's and God's presence and spirit, when that thirst is quenched, uh, he's devoted to God even more because he, he's had a taste now uh, and he, he wants more and he knows that God is the only person, the only thing uh, that can quench that thirst. Let's start with this idea of the desire of the soul's thirst for God. Being made in God's image, made by God, it means that we need God. It means we can't have life or happiness, peace, without God, the soul's thirst, whether we recognize it's a thirst for God or not, this longing for something, this emptiness that feels a a need to be filled, whatever you want to call it, uh, that is a sign that we have a need for God. And it's a sign that only God can meet that need. Here's how David describes it. Oh God, you are my God. You see there he's saying, my God. He's saying God is is not just one option among many. It's not like, God, you're my God. Other people might have other gods, uh, but you're my God. It it means that, too. There's only one God, David is saying. There's only one place I can take my thirst. But he's also saying, you're my God. It's personal. You're not a distant, far-off God. That even the thirst within my heart, the questionings in my mind, all of those things, Uh, you personally meet by coming close and being a friend and fellowshipping with me, having communion with with me. David had an intensely personal relationship with God, and so can we. He describes next that he earnestly searches for God. He seeks for God is the Hebrew word. If you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so if I mention in the original or Hebrew or something, the the original text David would have written and what was passed down in Hebrew. So translating it, sometimes some things are, are left out. I love the translation here of the New Living Translation. It's, it's really vivid and readable, but it is really true to the original. But the word here for uh, earnestly searching, is, it's like someone searching for water when they're thirsty. If you're in the desert wandering around looking, you're intently searching. You're not just wandering, you're, you're after something. I love to take. I have a little uh, English cocker spaniel named Duke, and he loves to chase the ball and the frisbee. And we'll go to the neighborhood park near us, and I'll throw the ball, and he will run until he just passes out and can't do it anymore. Uh, And uh, the whole way home, I have to put him on a leash, and all he does is uh, search around for water. And there's always water puddles because it hasn't stopped raining in like a year. Amen. (laughs) It's hard to it's hard to preach on. Being thirsty when it's been raining so much, everybody's like, I'm good. Not, it's not dry around here. Uh, but he will nose around and try to find water in the sewers and the puddles. He wants to drink them, and I have to kind of pull him back and say, you know, no, not that. Don't drink that, that dirty water. Let's get home. And, and he beelines home, straight in the door, straight to his water bowl, uh, bowl and waits there. You know, It's that kind of intent, like searching, I'm looking for you, God, around every corner, every, in everything, Uh, at all times, and I'm relentless, I'm not going to give up because I'm thirsty. I mean, when you really start to get thirsty, everything else starts to become very unimportant, doesn't it? (laughs) That's the way it is with thirst for God. When you David became suddenly aware of his thirst for God. He's just exhausted by his circumstances and the stress and his worries and his fears. Uh, And he becomes aware of that thirst, and now he sets everything aside And he just says, God, I need you. You know, if all these circumstances around me aren't fixed, just give me you. Because your love, he says, is better than life. That's why we thirst for God, because we were made by God. But also, God's love and God himself is the only thing (laughs) that's better than everything else in life. It's so essential that it's not worth living without it. Augustine, an an early church leader, an important theologian from North Africa, um, once wrote in his book, The Confessions, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, He says, For Lord, you have made us, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. In other words, Lord, because you made us, our souls are going to be thirsty till we drink deeply of your spirit. Only you can quench us. We have a deep need for you. He even says his body feels it. You ever been so desperate for God that it's just, you know, not only your soul, but your body just, you're weary. and You just need to be refreshed. There's nothing else that can ultimately refresh us and quench the thirst of God except that love of which David speaks. So let's talk about delight, because David says, once once I drink of God, uh, I'm satisfied. And it's such a great delight that doesn't compare to anything else. Uh, I think Bill Simpson last week preached on, I wasn't here, but Psalm 34, right? Uh, And there's a verse in there I love, taste and see, the Lord is good, right? Um, Some of us, our thirsts are all out of order because, you know, A, we don't know what we're missing cuz we might not have ever really tasted god cuz we haven't really met him personally and once you taste him you go oh man god is good and you just you know that's the only way you're going to be fed or satisfied that's what we need more than anything else in life and how does david begin to drink of god he begins to meditate he begins to remember most importantly and he and he has a vision you know the soul has eyes The soul can see God without seeing him physically. Now, I'm not saying a real vision, which those have occurred, where people literally physically see something. I'm talking about in your heart of hearts, the eyes of your soul, by faith, just seeing and knowing and remembering who God is, who he's proven himself to be. David begins to do that. He reminds himself, I've seen you in your sanctuary, and he's talking about the temple. In Israel, I've seen you there. I gazed upon your power and glory. And then he says, Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. You see how when David's thirst for God is satisfied, uh, that, that he experiences joy and he experiences satisfaction, and then he begins to praise. He leads from prayer and his thirst to praise when it is quenched. And he compares the satisfaction he experiences. He goes not just from being thirsty and having that thirst quenched, but all the way to now saying, man, it's like a whole feast that God sets out for me. That when God shows up, and when I remember God, when I experience Uh, his presence. It's like eating this rich, fatty, delicious meal. We all know that experience when you're going out to eat or maybe it's at at home and you just eat this uh, rich, awesome dinner that the food is good. It's tasty. It's high quality. The presentation is right. uh, There's dessert afterwards. And then you sit there and you're just like, oh man, I'm, I'm just full. Not only am I full, but I'm satisfied and I enjoyed this. That's what David is saying. That when when God satisfies you, it's a satisfaction like nothing else. There's a delight in it. And David can't help but praise out of his joy. And the way that he managed that thirst was by remembering the vision of who God is, that he got in the temple that we get when we come here. The way that we can not only become aware of that thirst for God, but learn how to satisfy it with God only is partly by coming here. But he also speaks in verse 6 of lying awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the watches of the night, or through the night. In the Hebrew, it literally says through the watches of the night, which shows you know, this waiting and a patience and looking For God at night. You know, there's something about when you lay down at night on your bed when no one else is around and it gets quiet and you're alone with your own thoughts, with your own soul. It's then that you can become aware either of your fears and worries and dissatisfactions, or you can begin to meditate on God and who He is and remember who He is, what He's done, what He's promised. That's how we can manage. Our thirst, and when we do that, if we will believe and trust those things that we know to be true about God, we begin to be satisfied and to have our thirst quenched. Because you are my helper, he says. He's remembering on his bed, when when you're my you are my helper, and so I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. David's in a difficult, dangerous situation, but he pictures himself as, as underneath this bird's wings that God is sheltering him and protecting him, that he's secure and he is safe. The soul's thirst for God is this desire to be safe, to be secure, to be protected by God, despite what's going on. Somebody said the soul is that part of us that asks three questions. Am I loved? Am I safe? And do I belong? That thirst in us for God is that that soul in us that he has created to know him, and through him, to, to answer those questions first in him. To know that we are loved, to know that we are safe or secure, and to know that we belong, that we have a place with him. Finally, let's talk about uh, devotion. The soul's thirst for God, whenever it's quenched, we, we drink and we are satisfied, we eat and are filled, and, and then we know that God is what we really need to cling to. David says, because of this, because God has satisfied me, uh, I cling to you, Lord. Your strong right hand upholds me. The cling to me in the Hebrew, in the original, it says, I cling after you. Uh, Or as the old King James Version translation puts it, my soul follows hard after thee. You see, David says, man, I'm never going to leave this source, this fountain of life that that is God and his love for me. I'm going to cling to him. I'm going to follow after him closely. There's a devotion that comes from having drunk deeply of God's love. Clinging to him, but then it says, your right hand upholds me. I love that image. It's almost like there's a giant hand that is God's sustaining power, And David, this little tiny person, is just clinging to his hand, but it's really the hand holding him up. He's saying, I'm clinging to you, Lord, but I know that it holds me up and holds me together. Uh, I've got five kids, so I've carried a lot of kids and a lot of stuff, and they always love to be held, especially when they're little. Uh, And you know what that's like, holding a little kid or a baby. Uh, And they always cling to you, right? Like you're going to drop them half the time. Sometimes they get comfortable. But I would play a game with them sometimes, where you know I would I'd let go and see how long they could hold on to me, and it's not very long. You know, it was really my hold on them that was making them secure and safe, uh, and it's the same with God. David is saying, he's like, I've got this strong thirst for you, and I'm I'm clinging to you because I know I need you, uh, but I know that your hold on me is greater than my hold on you. That your hold on me is what's gonna give me life, that's going to keep me safe, it's going to keep me satisfied, that's going to keep me close to you. So, because, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my hold on God gets kind of weak. And it's like, Lord, I'm slipping, I'm trying to hold on by faith, but man, I'm, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm, I'm thirsty. And God's like, I got you. If you'll remember that it's my hold on you that keeps you, then you can deal with those those times of worrying about the weakness of your own faith and the weakness even of your own love for God because it's His love for us that gives us life. His love is greater than life. And finally, he has this vision that comes out of his confidence after uh, reflecting and meditating on God and remembering who God is and praying and, and worshiping God in His presence when he was tired and thirsty. It's almost like he begins to be refreshed, and he looks up, and from his dry, barren present, he draws by faith out of his past with God this hope that he can bring into the future, and he sees this. By those, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They, they will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. I won't go into what the original Hebrew says because it's a little violent. It would be pretty R-rated for graphic violence of what is going to happen to those who hate God, or those who have opposed God, who have decided the thirst for God doesn't mean that we were meant for him, and so we are going to actually oppose him and try to keep other people from finding life by drinking from him. And David is confident that in the end, the enemies of God will not harm him because God's love is on him. And he says, but the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars are silenced. He mentions all of a sudden the king, and who is this king? He's, it, is, it is David. <laughs> but when you read the Psalms, it's really important that you do three steps in like a little dance. That you start with David, or whoever the psalmist is, and then you move over to Christ and say, "How was this fulfilled in Jesus? And then apply it to yourself. A lot of times we just go straight to applying it to my life without taking it through Jesus. You see, the welfare of God's people was wrapped up in whether or not David was king and David's kingdom was successful and prosperous. And it is the same for you and I. Our well-being, our future, our destiny is all dependent on Jesus being king and Jesus' kingdom succeeding. And it will. And when we have our thirst for God satisfied we we remember that God is king, that Christ is king, that that his kingdom is going to win over all other problems and adversaries and obstacles, and that we will experience eternally his love for us. We can have hope, we can have confidence if we will drink deeply from God's spirit. And let me close by saying this. uh, Jesus has promised to... Quench the thirst of our souls," he says. "Come to me and drink." In John seven and John four, he tells the woman at the well, "Look, I know you're. Sounds like you're thirsty. Uh, I'll give you water that will actually satisfy you, Uh, and it will become a well in you, springing up and overflowing. Rivers of living water will even kind of go out. It'll be enough for you and overflow to other people." Jesus said, "Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." Will be filled. And in Revelation, the very last chapter, there's an invitation that just says, anybody who's thirsty, come and drink. God definitely will fill you if you will come to Christ, if you'll open your heart to Him, if you'll give your life to Him and cling to Him, if you'll bring your thirst to Him, because He's the one who can give the Spirit of God that is compared to water to each of us so that we can be deeply satisfied in our own hearts. So are you thirsty for God? Are you looking to God to meet that thirst? And is God's love for you really something that's better than life? Does it make a difference in your life? Could you say that life wouldn't even be worth living without it? We have so many things in the United States and we are so poor. We are so empty and dry. All these houses and boats, okay, maybe a boat would make me a little bit more, I, I want to try that one still. I just want to see, like, maybe that'll stop the itching in my soul, right? Maybe that'll fill that big void. The houses, the cars, the, the, uh, the, the degrees, the, the accomplishments, the money, the sex, the pleasure, the fun, all that stuff, you will drink out of every fountain that this world gives you, and I promise you, you'll end up dry. You'll end up still thirsting until you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm thirsty and I can't seem to get it quenched. Please help me. Then you'll come to life. And you'll want more of him and more of him and more of him. Let's pray. Father, help us to be filled with your spirit and I pray that like water your spirit's presence in us would just deeply satisfy us. That you would be our joy and that we would cling to Jesus and follow hard after Him, knowing that He is the fountain from which we were made to drink. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.